Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Thank you for reading the Bible together. You might have been reading that and wondering, what is all of this passage about? Well, it's a very transparent passage of a man that is in agony and pain because of some things that he did in his life that were wrong. And he's communicating with God about those feelings that he has. And we're going to look at those today. The topic here in this psalm exemplifies what I believe to be the most vital heart condition, condition of our inward heart, not the organ itself, but our inner man, inner person, and our response that we can give to God. I believe it reveals the most vital heart condition and response that we can have toward God in order to have a good relationship with Him. And also, it corresponds with the first attitude that Jesus taught His disciples in Matthew chapter 5, I've preached through that before where Jesus calls up his close disciples that are with him up onto a mountain and withdraws away from uh, the multitudes that were following him looking for miracles and things done. And he taught them some attitudes that they needed to have so that they could be the followers he wanted them to be and help the world around him like he wanted them to help and preach the gospel and be a light like he wanted them to be. And he said you needed to have these attitudes. And the very first attitude he told them to have corresponds with this passage right here. Without this kind of heart condition, you and I will live in pride and contention, both with God and other people. Without this heart condition that we're going to look at today, without having this heart condition, inward heart, again, not the organ, but our attitude, our soul, having this condition without it, we will live a life with much pride. Pride is where we think too much of ourselves and we get our focus off of what really matters in life, God, others around us, and all we see is ourself and and we get self-focused. And then also contention. Contention comes with pride. So when I get so focused on me, John, and I start focusing on me all the time, I I get so uh, consumed with what I want and I need and what I think I deserve that I produce contention between me and God and me and others because I'm not worried about what they think or their feelings or their perception of what I'm doing. I'm self-consumed. With the proper attitude that we see in Psalm 51 here, we can find restoration in relationships, them being restored. We can find acceptance from those that we want to see acceptance and specifically from God that we want acceptance from. And we can find agreement with God and others with this heart condition that we're looking at here today. How many of you want to have agreement with those that you love? Agreement with God. 
How many of us want to have restoration if we have relationships? Maybe if you're standing here today, you might say, I don't even know what I believe about God, let alone me feeling like me and him are on the same page. And so if there's a way that I could understand who God is and have a good relationship, I would like to have that. Or maybe some here today would say, I think I know who God is, but I know I'm just not on good terms with him. I know there's some things between me and God that I know are not right, and I have that in my heart. Today's message, this passage, will help with that. You cannot even start the Christian life of following Christ. Not a religion, I'm talking about a faith of following Christ. You can't even start that Christian life without this heart condition that we're looking at today. And yet it is a condition that you and I cannot generate on our own. It takes a pointing out of truth that contradicts our direction. You with me now? This heart condition we're talking about, you can't just arrive at it and achieve at this by yourself. You need an external pointing out of truth that says, here is truth, that contradicts where I'm trying to go, and that allows me to come to this point of this heart condition that we're addressing today. What is the condition? It's repentance. It's a word that is very powerful in the Bible, and I believe the most vital heart condition you and I must have, it is to have a heart condition that is repentant. What does it mean to be repentant? I'm going to give you four words that I believe will help. Okay? Four words that will help us understand. What does it mean to have a repentant heart? The first word is to listen. If I have a repentant heart, first of all, I am listening to that truth that's being pointed out. If I don't listen to it, like Jesus talked about, either have ears to hear, let them hear. If I don't listen to truth when it is pointed out, I will not then follow into the heart condition that is necessary called this word repentance. Now, don't be afraid when I'm using this word. You might say, I've never heard this word, or I don't use this word very often. So what are you talking about? Today's message will become very practical, very helpful for us. But it starts with first listening. If I want to have this heart condition, it doesn't, listening or hearing, as the Bible talks about, doesn't mean just to actually audibly hear, but it means to listen with the heart. It means to actually care about what's being said and try to understand it. Okay? The second word I'll give to help us understand this heart condition that we're going to dive into and see in, in, in this psalmist's life, his name is David, He's a king. The second word is believe. A repentant heart is listening. A repentant heart is believing what is being pointed out. This idea of being repentant between me and God or even others is it, believing is inseparable with repentance. You can't believe something if you don't also have repentance. This I this this. Uh, why I can't, I gotta give you the next words to help it understand. So first of all, it's listen, and then it's believe what is being pointed out. And then thirdly, the third word is turning. And so I listen, I hear, I believe what is being pointed out. What is being pointed out is 
is in contrast to where I am going and headed, and so I turn in some way. So that's repentance is turning. It means a 180-degree turn. I'm headed this way. Truth is pointed out. I listen. I believe the truth. And I say, oh, because I believe the truth, I turn and, and face the direction that, that, that is what the truth is talking about. Does that make sense so far? Okay. You could apply that to your own life, your vocation, where you work. If you're working in the mill, if you're working with electrical work, if you're working with, uh, uh if you're selling things online, or if you're working with, uh, uh, creating new videos and, and photography and so on. If you're managing people and helping make sure that schedules are fulfilled or fixing up your house or whatever it might would be, the different things that you might would do. I left out Emily because I don't know what you do, Emily. Sorry about that. Uh, if, if you help lead a, a nation, okay? I'm just joking. I don't know what all you do. I'm sure you do a lot. So the point, I'm in a hole now, so I'm going to dig myself back out. Okay. But whatever it is that you might do, if you're doing something and it's wrong and it's pointed out by, say, a, a supervisor or someone, they point out that what you're doing is wrong, a repentant heart says, I hear what you're saying and I'm actually listening and I care what you're saying. I believe what you say is true and I'm going to turn and do the way that you're saying that I ought to do. And so I'm going to face that direction. I'm going to go that way. Now, it's possible to obey what someone says without being having a repentant heart. So it's possible to say, they're crazy. I don't believe a word that they said, but go ahead and do it because you have to to keep your paycheck, right? And so that obedience without repentance is possible. Does that make sense? Okay. The fourth word is not only listening, believing, turning, but confessing. Confession. You ever heard that word confession before in the Bible? To confess? Bible talks about confessing your sin. What does it mean? It doesn't just mean to admit or to say, you know, okay, fine, I'll tell you I did something wrong. It means to agree in your heart, to agree with, to truly biblically confess. It means to say with your mouth and to believe in your heart. It's to be in agreement. God, I agree with everything you pointed out here. It goes along with belief. I believe it. I confess it. I'll say it, I admit it, you pointed out truth, and I was in error, and now I'll go the right way. So those four words, I, I believe, will help us to understand this heart condition. Now we're actually going to look at the person today that is in this heart condition. Everything he's writing in this psalm that, 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 he, is, that he is penning down is written because he has that heart condition of repentance that we just talked about. Do you want to be accepted by God and to, and to know God? I was in Pennsylvania this week. I was looking up in the stars, and the stars are so much better than here. They're the same. They're just as big, but you can see them a lot better. We were out under the stars. My parents have this big, they've got about 14 acres, and so they've got this big wide open area and uh, then trees all around. And you're looking up and... You could see Mars, and you could see, we saw probably a dozen shooting stars. It was crazy. Just just everybody was seeing st shooting stars over like an hour and a half time, uh, maybe a half a dozen. So maybe, I, but it was at least a half a dozen. It was crazy. Um, but you could see the Big Dipper and the S Little Dipper and the North Star, and then you could even see 
the Milky Way constellations because it was hazy right there where you could see it, but you could tell it was there. And then, then, then we come back last night and I look up in Northwest Indiana stars and I go, where are those things? Where did they go? You know. But you look up and you see all of that and you say, you know, someone created not only that, but everything that's complicated out there is even that much and more complicated in the little cells that are inside of your body. And the language of DNA, language is created by an intelligent person. Language is not random. Your DNA is full of miles of, I mean, your body is full of miles of DNA. And you think of who God is out there. And do you want to have a relationship with, with that God? Do you think if he wrote language inside of your body and he created these complex cells and, and he made the miracle of birth and he gave us uh, uh, marriage and the, the family, and he gives the government, and he gives the church, and he, he created all the beauty that we experience around us. You think he might want to actually have a designed purpose and plan for your life that even goes beyond the grave? You think God cares about who you are? I believe that he does, and God wants to know you, and he wants you to be accepted of him. Do you want to be more in agreement in your own relationships of life outside of God, your relationships of life, your, uh, uh, whether it be children, whether it be coworkers, whether it be uh, a person that you're dating, whether it be someone that you're married to, whatever it might would be, um, do you want to have agreement in your relationships? Would you like for God to give you the ability to live life the right way? and the way of righteousness. Would you like that? Do you desire to please God with your heart and with your life? If you could answer yes to at least some of those, then you want to listen today because the heart condition is going to, uh, that, that, that helps bring those things about that, that God works through is very clear in this passage and in this person named David. We're going to begin first by going to a different passage of the Bible before we jump into and park at Psalm 51. It's important that we go to this passage because this passage is the backdrop of why he's writing Psalm 51. We've got it on the screen. I'm going to read through it and let you see from the Bible the story that took place with David. In this story, we're going to see that David as king chooses not to go out to battle with uh, his leaders and army that are out the battle, and he stays, and he goes on a housetop, and on a housetop he sees a woman that is bathing, and she's a beautiful woman, and he calls out. It, we're not used to that here because you've got you know showers and you're in your home, you don't bathe outside. But he could see that she was by a waterside, and so he called her in, and he committed adultery with her, and she conceived a child, and um, then he tried to cover that up because her husband was a very good man and a soldier out fighting while, while David is committing adultery, just, just doing ridiculous things. And, and so he tries to cover it up by having Uriah killed. And the way he tries to have him killed is he calls Uriah out into a battle, and he, he tells uh, the, the leader, uh, Joab, to make sure that he dies in the heat of battle. And so David tells that to Joab. Joab has people that are in, good people in their army, go up too close to the uh, to a castle, the walls, too close to the walls of a city. They It, it was strategically 
a bad idea, but they did it on purpose. And people, in addition to Uriah, died. So dozens of people died because David wanted to cover his sin. When you and I sin, we do things that just don't make sense. Because we try to cover it, when we deceive, when we lie, it just becomes bigger and bigger, 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 bigger. We start doing all kinds of things that we wouldn't do because you're not thinking clear. I'm not thinking clear. I'm trying to cover things. That's what David did. And so he sent Uriah out. Uriah, as we'll read, was a loyal man. He was a faithful man. David first tried not to kill him. He tried to have him come from battle and come be with his wife one night and tried to get him to come and spend time with her that night so that way when she had a baby, it wouldn't be, oh, it's not David's baby, it's his baby. It's just all this crazy stuff that he did. And so he called her in to be, be with him, but he wouldn't spend the night with his wife because he said, Every, all my other brothers are out there fighting in battle. How can I spend the night in comfort with my wife while they're in battle? And he slept outside. He wouldn't do it. David just couldn't cover it. So then he went deeper and deeper into sin and wrong by sending him out to battle and having him die. And then eventually he gets pointed out. His sin that he thinks gets covered gets pointed out. And we're going to see how it gets pointed out. I'm not going to tell that part yet. But the pointing out of the sin is what brings him to the point of writing Psalm 51. So let's go ahead and read what I just told you about, and then we'll read how it was pointed out. And then we'll look into Psalm 51 and see this repentant heart. Verse 11, or verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And verse 1 says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So he stayed back. And it came to pass... In an even tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David, that Uriah's her husband. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. In other words, dress up and clean up. And spend time with your wife is what he's saying there. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So he was really trying to butter him up and help him out a little bit here. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. See this kind of faithfulness this, this man was? He just, he wouldn't go, he wouldn't go enjoy pleasures of being home because none of the, his brothers that were out fighting could do it. And when he had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, and David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou, now, uh, didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. 
Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie out on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So David got him to, to drink, and he was trying real hard again to try to get him to do things he wouldn't typically do. He's trying really, really, really hard here. So let's keep reading and seeing as David is trying a lot to get him to be with his wife and to try to cover David's sin. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Notice he sends this letter, this letter of um, a command for Joab to have Uriah killed. And he sends the letter at the hand of Uriah. It's sealed. Uriah doesn't know what's in there. And that's crazy. He's over here. He's sending him... Uh, in the hand of Uriah, this letter that pretty much says that make sure Uriah dies. Verse 15, it says, And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him. So put him out in the front of the hot battle and then pull back that he may be smitten and die. Don't give him cover. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise and say unto thee, Wherefore approachest thou so nigh into the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? So he's saying, if David starts asking, Why would you get so close to the wall there? He goes on to say, uh, and, and um, who smote Abimelech. And if David starts bringing up a historic thing that happened before and starts saying, you know that this would happen, they would kill you from the wall. Let's skip to verse 22. So the um, messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had said, sent him for. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came unto us into the field. And we were upon them, even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooter shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of thy servants be dead. And notice what he says here, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So he's giving him this report of what took place. Uriah died. Look at verse 25 and see how David responds. This would not be a typical response of David. David is strategic in war, and he knew that they 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 did things that were not wise in their war practice. But look what he did in verse 25. And David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Now he's creating pain for Bathsheba as well. He killed her, her husband. When the morning was past, David sent and fetched to her house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now we're going to go into the next chapter. Now we're going to see how God points out the wrong that David did. Are you following okay in the story? Okay, so David's trying to cover the sin. He thinks he's successful at doing it. Now look at look, verse 1 of the next chapter. It says, And the Lord 
sent Nathan unto David. Nathan's a prophet that would preach what God revealed to him. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. This is a parable. It's a story. It's not a true story. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress, that means to prepare to eat, for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it or prepared it to eat for the man that was come to him. So this man came to go visit a, a rich man, and he had animals to be able to prepare for a meal. But instead of taking one of his own and preparing them for a meal, he took one, the one little lamb that this one man had, this poor man, he had one lamb, and he took it, and he prepared that for a meal instead of uh, uh, providing with his own that he had. Notice in verse 5 how David responds to this story. And David's anger was kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. He's mad. He's saying, This man that did this thing should die. And verse 6, He shall restore the lamb fourfold. In other words, he, he needs to give four lambs back to the man that was poor because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, who was a king that was trying to kill him. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and out of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have more, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I would have even done more for you. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against thee and out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of his son, for thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Then he goes on, if you're to read more, which we won't take time, uh, he, he goes on to describe that he would have more repercussions that would take place because of this sin. So pretty much God is just saying, I'm going to withdraw my protection from you because of this. You're going to have internal wars and you're going to have people from the outside come and I'm going to withdraw my protection and, and they're going to take some of your own people away because of this sin that you have done. And David is now that the sin that he committed is pointed out. Now we see David at the point of Psalm 51, repentant now that this sin has been pointed out. So I want us to read Psalm 51 now and see where David is at. David had done egregious crimes, wrong that, that 
I would expect none of us in here have done anything close to that. Yet we have our own sin that we have committed and that we do commit. And we, are, we still have distance between us and God because of sin that we do and wrongdoing that we do. God loves us. He created us to be with him. But we have brokenness. We have sin. Let's see how David responds. So now, if you will, if you'd open your Bibles, I'm not going to put these verses on the screen because we've already gone through a lot of them. And so I don't want to go back through a lot more verses on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. And I'm going to teach through that a little bit here. Psalm 51. The first six verses is where we'll see David's confession, where he agrees with God about the wrongfulness of his doings and his sin. And he confesses and admits it to God. Let's read what he does. Verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The first thing we see David do is plea for God's mercy. Mercy is withdrawn judgment where with God holds it back. He's saying, I need your mercy because I know I deserve to be punished here. I know I deserve. If you were just God and you did things according to just simply without any mercy and out, without any grace, I would deserve to be harshly punished right now at this moment. Merci please be merciful to me. Withdraw your judgment. Be kind toward me. And notice he says, not because of who I am, David. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, be merciful because, and he goes on and starts listing all these things he's done in his life, how he's a good person. He doesn't do that. He says, rather, look at verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. He's saying, you have so much mercy, God, and you're so tender and kind and loving. Be merciful to me because of who you are, not because of who I am, is what David says. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he says, wash and cleanse me, God. I have iniquity. I have this perversion inside of me where I, 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 I try to cover my tracks. I try to do right. I deceive myself at times. I, I, that doesn't mean he can't do anything good, but he's not good by definition because David, like all of us, we have sin in us. We, we do wrong. No one had to teach you and I to try to lie when we want to cover ourselves. No one had to teach you and I to get envious when someone else gets something better than us or covetousness when we think we've not been done right. No one had to teach us that. Where did that come from? It's inside of us. And David is saying, wash me and cleanse me because of this. And then in verse 3, he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Transgression is like trespassing. He's saying, I acknowledge that I trespassed. You said, don't go here. And I went here. You said, thou shalt not murder. I murdered. You said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I committed adultery. He tells me not to lie. I lied. And he's saying, God, please help me here. I acknowledge I did this wrong. I acknowledge my transgression. It's ever before me. Then verse four, 
Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Now, did David only do wrong against God? I mean, he hurt a lot of other people too. But notice his focus here is that it's, it's with God, number one. If, I, if you and I care about our relationship with God, and if we have a, a relationship with God right, that will take care of our relationships with how we take care of other people. The first commandment that God gives is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it to love your neighbors yourself. If I will love God first chiefly, God will enable me, if I stay aligned with loving Him, to love other people. When I get out of alignment of loving God, I will get out of alignment of loving other people too. So he says, against thee have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Because God's just, God's right. So he's saying that you're just, you're right. I have sinned against what you have said. Notice verse four here. Uh, or going, uh, forgive me, going beyond four, verse five. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That just simply means that I'm a sinner from birth. Because uh, when mankind and women first sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were born in sin. We have a sinful nature. And he says, I've been born in sin. I'm a sinner from birth. And then in verse 6, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. What's he saying here in verse 6? He's saying, God, behold, here's the, here's the reality of all this. You desire truth in me. You want me to be truthful in my heart, inside. You want a heart that's honest and truthful. But he says, you desire for me to be truthful and honest inside, where nobody else sees. God doesn't just care about what we do out there, what everybody sees in our life. God wants me to be honest and truthful where nobody else sees just inside of my heart. He wants me to be honest and truthful. God doesn't just care about what I do that people can see. God cares about my heart, which he can see. David is saying, behold, you you want honesty, truthfulness, integrity in the inner person. Because if David had been honest inside, he would have never done any of that that he did. If he was being honest, he would say, I can't do that. I'm not going to commit adultery. Actually, I'm not even going to look on her. I'm not going to lust after a woman. Oops, I didn't mean to see that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go inside and make sure that I'm not doing that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go away from temptation. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't commit adultery. He wouldn't go kill if he was being honest. But he wasn't being honest. Inside, he was justifying why it was okay to do what he was doing. Ever been there? Ever been where you had a, your conscience being a witness to you saying, "Don't do that," or "You need to do this," and you reasoned why it was okay to to break against that. David is saying, behold, you want truth in the inner person. And then notice in ver- the last part of verse 6, he says, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David is acknowledging here in his confession that I'm unwise and you are wise. I need your wisdom. 
I'm broken. What he's doing is he's, he is revealing what I mentioned before, the first attitude Jesus said his disciples need to have, and that is to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means to be broken and to say that I know that I am depraved or lost, that I can't fix myself, and that you, you, you are the answer. You are truth. Now, please understand that when you talk about this and we talk about sin and so on, God's not want us to walk around like this all the time and act like we're horrible people and talk about how bad we are. What he wants us to understand and confess is that we need him because if you don't worship God, you will worship something. If you don't worship God, you will worship something. You'll worship self. You'll worship success. You'll worship uh, icons you have in society or you'll worship false gods. You'll worship something. God doesn't need us to worship him. He knows we need to worship him. He knows we need to recognize what truth really is. He knows we need to recognize that he's holy and pure. No one else deserves to be worshipped. Anyone else that's worshipped will be hurt by being worshipped. If you worshipped me, you would hurt me. That's why men and women shouldn't be lifted up on huge pedestals and be worshipped or looked up as, as though they're God people, because they're not. They're broken. I'm broken. I have sinfulness in me, and so do you as well. And so no people should be lifted up that way, but God needs to be, because if God's not lifted up that way, I will let some other idol lift up in my heart. And David here is saying, your wisdom I need in my heart. He's recognizing that he's not wise. He's recognizing that he was a liar in his heart. And so this is David's confession. He's in agreement with God. He's asking God for mercy. He's asking him to wash him and cleanse him. He's acknowledging his sin. He's saying his sin was against God, not just the other people. He's saying, I'm a sinner from birth. He's saying, God, I know you desire truth in my inner person and that you can give me wisdom. I'm a fool. That's pretty much what he was saying. That's David's confession. Then we see David's requests. All of these are marks of having a, um, a heart condition of repentance. The next one is his request. Look with me, verses 7 through 15, and just we'll read through these. And I want you to see some of David's requests here. Verse 7, we see he says, Purge me with hyssop. That's a plant that they would use. They used, anyone ever heard about uh, the um, in Exodus when the people of Israel... Um, they left Egypt and they went and crossed the Red Sea. And at that time, the very last plague, they, they put a blood of a lamb on the doorposts of, of the house so that way the death angel would not come by. Anyone heard that before? Okay. And so they used a hyssop in order to put the, the blood there and to cleanse. And it was something that they would use in their rituals for, for cleansing. And he's saying, purge me with hyssop. I'm dirty. I need cleanse is what he's saying. So he's saying to God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter as snow. He is acknowledging not only that he has wrong, but he's also acknowledging that God can fix the problem. And he's saying, God, please fix it. I need help. Cleanse me. He's not just going around talking about how oh, I'm depraved and, I, and, I can, and I'm going to stay this way all my life. He's then going and saying, God, you're the answer. You're the solution. Cleanse me, please. Wash me. And then he says in verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. And that sounds interesting. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I don't believe that's talking about a physical bones broken, but that's how he felt. Have you ever felt a way where maybe something you did wrong in your life and you had a heaviness or maybe someone else did something wrong to you but somehow you felt a heaviness and you could feel it on your body your body felt weight because of something emotional you were going through that's how David felt here and David is saying make me to hear joy and gladness now is that interesting why wouldn't he hear joy and gladness have you ever done something wrong and all you could think about is what you did or have you ever been in a situation where things just didn't go right and you had some part in it and maybe you had guilt and all you could do is think about that and you couldn't hear anything good? You just kept running that, hitting play, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind over and over and over again inside of your mind. What's what David was doing? He couldn't hear joy and gladness. He's saying, God, I, I confess this to you. Make me to hear joy and gladness because I, I don't even hear it. I don't even know what it sounds like to hear joy and gladness right now. All I, I've got this burden that I, that's just weighing down upon me. And then he says here in verse nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out my, my iniquities. Here he says to God, just hide your face. Please don't look upon the sins I've done. He, he feels so wrong about what he did. He says, God, would you please just not even look at them, hide your face from them. And would you blot them out, which that is in the New Testament, that's where we get justified, where we get our sins removed and placed on Christ. He's using similar terminology here, and he's saying, blot out my sins. That way, kind of like today's terms would be expunge. You have a criminal record, and you get it removed from that record. He's saying blot it out. And then in verse 10, he says this. This is, this is powerful. Create. God's a creator, right? But he can create more than trees and universes and galaxies. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create and renew. When you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, this is not teaching this here, but that's what exactly what God does. I'm teaching about that at the 10 o'clock hour, about what does it mean to be born again? What, is it, what does that mean? And that is where God creates in me a clean heart. I don't clean my heart. That's religion. Religion is you do what the preacher preaches or what the church says to do, and you fix yourself, and God accepts you. But the Bible, like what David is depending on, he's saying, God, I am broken. I confess I am wrong. Cleanse me, wash me, and just create a new heart in me because my heart is broken. My heart is wrong. From it springs up wrong things. I may do it again. Please renew my heart. Renew my spirit. Create in me a new heart is what David says here. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. As a child of God, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in you. I believe that David here is probably referencing what happened to his father-in-law, Saul, who tried to kill him. Saul, at one point, God said, I will take my spirit from you. God's, God's influence of his spirit on his life. And you will no longer be king either. And he took his spirit from him. God's Spirit giving influence to Saul in his life. 
And I think that's what Saul, uh, David here is referencing. I think he's saying here, don't do what you did to Saul. I know you did it to Saul. Please don't do that to me. And then we see in verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Here he says, would you, would you give me again the joy of, of your salvation? I've experienced your salvation. I trust on you. I know who you are. You've done so much in my life. Help me to in, have the joy about that again. You know, it's possible to, to, to know the Lord, as we talked about even the 10 o'clock hour today, and get blinded in and even forget, as we read about in Second Peter, forget how God has purged you or cleansed you from sin, and to just forget about it. To lose the joy of what God does in our life. David here is saying, God, restore that joy to me. And then verse 13, if you'll notice it, uh, no, we'll come back to 13, but verse 12, he had said, restore the joy. Verse 14, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. What he's talking about is being guilty of shedding blood is what that's talking about. Deliver me from the guilt. Again, that feeling of guilt that's just on me. And notice he says here, O God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. He's saying, would you deliver me from the guilt so I can sing? Then if you will look uh, with me, we're going to consider David's promises. These are, these are all of, oh, no, no, forgive me, I skipped one here. Deliver me from guilt in verse 15. One more request David gives. He says, open, O Lord, open thou my lips. So these are David's requests. He says, purge me, wash me. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, please. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Deliver me from guilt that I just am carrying. Open my lips. These are David's requests. So we see David's confession and his requests. Now look, look, look at just three of David's promises. He gives three promises in here. He says, God, in light of these requests, Lord, I'll do this. I'll do this. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Two thoughts I want to point out there. First of all, he says, Lord, when you restore the joy of salvation to me, when I have that restored joy, then I will teach other people, I'll teach them the right way and say, don't do what I did. Don't do that, please. When you restore the joy to me, God, then I'll tell other people, please don't do what I did. When I see the error of my way and the joy of God's forgiveness, His love, His grace, I want to teach that and share that with other people. That's what David's saying. But notice he also says that then people will be converted unto thee. People will turn to thee. David doesn't say he'll turn people to God. He doesn't say he'll convert them. He just says he'll teach and that they will turn to God. And that's an important point. point. Verse 14, notice it says, he, he says, I will sing of your righteousness. This is the second thing he says he'll do. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. And he goes on to say, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. So first he says, I'll teach. Second, he says, I'll sing. And then thirdly, verse 15, he says, I'll praise. He says, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. 
David's promises are, God, if you'll, if you'll please, if you'll, if you'll help me here in this and forgive me, I'll teach, I'll sing, I'll praise you. I need you. All of this that can be wrapped up in David's understanding that's expressed in verses 16 and 17. Look with me in verse 16 and 17, if you will, please. Verse 16 of Psalm 51 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, meaning like bringing an animal and, and bringing an animal sacrifice. Else would I give it. He says, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Me bringing something to you and having a burnt offering. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite or crushed heart. O God, thou will not despise. He says, really, what you want is for me to come with a heart that is repentant or crushed about what I have done wrong and to acknowledge I need you. Have you ever taught your children before? Maybe, maybe you taught them in some ways and then they broke them and they did something that was obviously disobedient. And then afterwards, you tried to teach them about it. Have you ever taught one of your kids that was disobeying, they did wrong, and you're trying to teach them the error of their way and help them understand it so they could turn from it? And they listened, but they just seemed like they didn't care about what you're saying. Now, don't shake your head over here because I know that, uh, wait, wait, uh, Emily, right? So Emily, yeah, I know she did, she's looking there. Uh, but... Uh, have you ever done that before where you, you try to teach you try to teach a child and maybe they'll listen, but you could tell they don't get what they did was wrong. And 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 when you when you experience that, you 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 hurt because you know they may do that again. And next time there may be worse repercussions for them. They haven't learned their lesson. And what you really want as a father, as a mother, when you're teaching your children, you want to really teach them since they're a child, you're really looking for not just obedience, but you're looking for a heart. You're really trying to seek after that heart since they're really little to try to get that heart that, 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 that actually appreciates what you're teaching, that is loved and nurtured by you, and that they get it when you teach about something they did wrong. Maybe when you point something out wrong and, and they cry. And you see that cry come. And it wasn't because they got caught, and it wasn't because they're going to get in trouble. It's because they know they did wrong, and they truly feel bad about it. That's the sacrifice David is saying that God wants. When he looks down, when we do wrong, he doesn't want us like that all the time. It's simply when we are going this way, and truth is pointed out, and it says, no, you're supposed to be going that way. Or I'm trusting in, regarding having an eternal relationship with God, going to heaven, if I'm trusting in my way to get me to heaven or religion, and God points out, no, it's Christ. He died, was buried, rose again for my sins. And when I get that truth pointed out, and I go, oh, I've been trusting wrong, or I've been going the wrong way. And when it hits, you listen, you believe it, and after you believe it, you turn, and now you confess it. And that's everything David's doing here. And David is simply saying, that's what God's looking for. Not so much an animal being sacrificed. God was looking for David saying, I sent 
a person to preach, preach truth to you. I'm looking for a repentant heart that will confess he is wrong and turn from his way and trust on me. David's dependence was not on him. That is not to say, uh, point out truth and, and then to say, oh, okay, i got to keep working hard to do right. No, rather, it is to turn and say, I need you, God, to help me do right. I need, I need you to help my heart be right. Walking in the Christian life is, is not about a bunch of uh, uh, rules that are forced on me for me to say, oh, I, gotta be, I just got to be better, got to be better, got to be better. It's rather a turning and depending on God saying, God, help me to love like you love. Help me to have mercy like you have mercy. Help me to forgive like you forgive. Help me to be good like you are good. I need you. Wisdom comes from you, as David said. You desire truth in the inward part. Please create in me a clean heart, O God. The last part of David's experience here that I'd like you to see in this psalm is the last two verses of it will be very brief on this. Some believe that this was written by a different psalmist later on after the walls had been torn down in Israel. Some believe maybe it was David that God used to write this. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that it does connect with everything here. Verse 18 and 19, if you'll look with me here as we come to a conclusion. And Malachi, if you bring that, this one up just a tiny bit. Verse 18 says, Do good. This is now a plea to God. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Now what does Zion have to do with this whole chapter? David's talking about his sin and getting right with God. And now he says, do good to Zion, which is the, a figure for the, the people of Israel. Do good for the people of Israel. And it goes on to say, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Build them up and make them strong. Maybe they were torn down. Maybe this was later. Or, or maybe he's just saying, keep them strong. Keep them, them, them mighty to protect the people of Israel. Don't break down the defenses because he knew that God had just said that they would experience war and problems because of David's sin. Then verse 19 says, Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. He says, Then you'll be pleased with these things that we, we do, looking forward. Those offerings we're all looking forward to Christ. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. So pretty much... 18 and 19, what it does is it shows David's concern. The whole chapter, David is saying, God, I'm sorry, I confess what I did. Here's my request, please help me, I need you. And then from his request, then he gives some promises. Lord, I, I will teach, I will sing, I will praise if you'll help me. And then he gives his understanding. I know, God, what you really want is just that broken, repentant heart. Then he turns all of his focus off from him and he takes that focus on, now God, please help the people of Israel to know this as well. Help them to have a repentant heart. Please bless them and help them. And what that teaches me and you is for number one, we, we, we got to be careful about getting too self-focused in our, even our relationship with God because number two, we're all part of a body. You have a family you're a part of. You have a church you're a part of. You're part of Lakeshore Baptist Church. You have a community you're a part of. You have a nation you're a part of. And, and, and your heart 
that's tender towards God, like we described with a child and their parents, is an important factor for the health of this church and your community and even your nation. We like to, we like to spend our time looking at and reading the news. I don't like to do a lot of that, but, but looking at it and talk about how much we hate all the things, decisions that other people make. But really, we need to pray for decisions other people make, but a lot of what we need to do is just worry about us having a right heart and saying, God, now with that right heart, I'm not just concerned with me. I'm concerned with my family, my neighbors, my church, my nation, and get my eyes off of me and on. God, would you please help Zion, the people of Israel, not just be focused on me. It's very easy to get focused on myself only. And I've got I've to look out because I'm a part of others. We see here God's provision. I want to, as we come to a conclusion, that's, every, that's all of Psalm 51. Now I'm just going to conclude the message here. And I've got to bring it to a vital part of, of this whole repentant heart. And that is God's provision. It was not enough that David be repentant because repentance cannot stand alone. A heart that says, I'm sorry for my wrong. I see the truth, the error in my way. I want to I turn and do your way, God, is not sufficient to fix my problem between me and God or even in me and others. We need not only repentance, but we need redemption. What I preached about two weeks ago. If you weren't here, uh, redemption very simply is to redeem or to buy back. We are broken in sin and God in his love was never surprised that we would sin and do wrong. He knew we would when he gave us free will. And he chose in his divine love to say, I will pay the price to redeem and buy you back from your sin, save you from the penalty of your sin by coming to earth as the God-man, Jesus Christ. Not a good man, not a good teacher, but God who came in the flesh, who had never done wrong. And there's, there's no archaeological or historical evidence they can ever, they try to, but they can't, nobody can disprove the death, the burial, the resurrection of God the Son, Jesus Christ. He claimed he is God. He reveals he is God. And that perp, the whole purpose of that was redemption to provide a salvation for those that would repent and believe they need it. And so repentance cannot stand alone. It needs redemption. Jesus offers redemption if we'll receive it with a repentant heart. If today you know that, you know, I, I know I've got sin in me. I do wrong. You sure I don't go out and kill? I didn't do what David did. And I don't think I'm that bad of a person. But if your standard is other people, that's how we'll think. If your standard is a holy, perfect, righteous God who's never done anything wrong, and in Him there is no holiness, like going to the sun. If your standard is the brightness of your cell phone, that's one thing. If your standard is the brightness of the sun and you get close to the sun, there's a night and day difference. And if you stand before God, 
depending on the fact that you were a little bit better than the standard of other broken people, it's not going to hold water. But if you stand before God and say, you know, God, I, I'm wrong. I know it. I have, I have sinned. I fall short of the glory of God. Here's the good news. God knows that. And God came and died and was buried and rose again as a substitutionary death, paying for my sins and yours. A church cannot save. Your good works cannot fix your problem between you and God. Christ alone. Jesus loves you, loves me. Redemption is necessary to satisfy repentance. And then also, we see here that Jesus models how to live, but to follow him, we need to keep a repentant heart. Jesus models how to live, but after you've trusted Jesus as your Savior to continue following his model, I have to keep a repentant heart. Repentance is not just something I do to, to kneel before God and confess I, I need the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross for my sins, but it's also a heart condition I need to keep because you and I, we continue to do wrong in our life. And without a repentant heart that admits and confesses and agrees with God, listens to God, believes that, oh, I need to correct that error in my way, listen to the, when the Spirit of God teaches, without that, I'm just going to keep doing my way and going my direction and I'm not going to be following him. I won't be sensitive to what he wants. I need to keep a repentant heart like David had. Not wait till I do an egregious sin like David, but just keep a heart that says, I'm listening. I believe. I turn. I confess. I agree. I admit. I speak aloud of what I believe. With a repentant heart, you can find restoration and acceptance with God and other people. And with a repentant heart, you can find agreement. This transfers not only between you and God, but also between you and other people. I almost consider just preaching a whole message on the practical side, but I had to go the divine side of our relationship with us and God, because that's what this is all about. But you know how powerful it is to be able to confess or agree with people when you're doing wrong? You know where most divisions come in families, in marriages, with parents and children, with coworkers? Most divisions come where we are too prideful to agree when we're wrong. If someone points something out, we won't let them bring us to a point of agreement that we're wrong. And so we just yell louder or we run away or we avoid conflict and we don't want to we just don't want to deal with it so we just um, hide from the person because we don't want to deal with it. But a repentant heart says, I will come to you. I will listen to what you say. Oh, that makes sense. I believe what you say. Okay, you're right. I'll turn from the way I was going. I agree with you. I confess it. You know how that will help so many of your relationships and my relationships if I live that way. And the last statement is that a repentant heart, a repentant heart is a heart that listens, it believes, it turns, and it confesses. It agrees with God and with others. I want a heart like that. I don't want to act like David acted, but I do want to have a heart 
that he had when truth was pointed out to him and he responded with repentance. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.